SAFM, leading the conversation. Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. 25 minutes before 11, you're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for joining us. Really do appreciate it. The Property Practitioners Regulatory Authority, what it's now called, formerly called the Estate Agent Affairs Board, um, has amongst its statutory mandates it must be noted that this is a statutory body the regulating of the affairs of all property practitioners however its mandate has now been expanded to focus on strengthening the regulatory aspect of human settlements joining me to speak about this is tato ramaile uh, who is the acting chief executive officer for the property practitioners regulatory authority uh, tato good evening thank you so much for your time i really do appreciate it welcome to night talk Thank you so much. Good morning, Oliver, and to your listeners. What's to a name? Uh, why are you guys changing your name? Well, you know, we um, have replaced the erstwhile EAAB. So obviously our mandate is expanded. We used to regulate only real estate agents. But now under the new dispensation, we are regulating other subsectors, such as your born originators, developers, um, managing agents, just to name a few. So our mandate is expanded, hence um, the renaming. Yeah, and 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 to that, let's speak about that. Uh, when you talk about being a regulator of these practitioners, um, what does that mean? What is the code that they have to adhere to? What is the statutory locus of 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 the work you guys do? Um, well, they all practitioners, um, which is what we refer them to now, they have to adhere to the code of conduct. Code of conduct and also adhere to the PPA, which is the Property Practitioners Act uh, 19 of, um, um, 20, uh, 22 of 2019. Yeah, and, and, and what is in that provision? Well, one, the, our mandate um, rests on three pillars, um, Oliver. So we are to regulate all um, property practitioners um, in the Republic of South Africa. We are to transform the property sector and we are also to protect consumers. So yeah. that is uh, what we stand for. Yeah. And, and, and your mandate now being expanded uh, to include the regulatory of, uh, uh, you know, the activity of practitioners in human settlements is something very interesting to me. In South Africa, the word cloud association of human settlements is often thought of as uh, places that have come about without uh, or have come about spontaneously um, through the action of migration and outside mm-hmm. the bounds of state town planning or state community planning, um, and that it's entirely almost a function of oftentimes poverty, economy, and, and urban, uh, the expansion of urban uh, centers and urbanization. Uh, and you think of human settlements as the expansion, specifically in my case, I think of it at least as such, as the expansion of townships. Um, and, and, and the mushrooming of informal settlements. Uh, describe to us what the code refers to when it speaks about human settlements and what uh, the expansion of the mandate uh, will empower you to do and mandate you to do in that regulatory affairs. Um, well, um, Oliver, you're not entirely um, wrong, right? So the Department of Human Settlements is broad um, in that not only does the PPRA fall underneath it, so it is responsible for six entities, right? So it's the PPRA, which is the regulator. The other regulator is the NHBRC. So now that's for the built environment and that yeah. um, governs, you know, developers and so forth. 
but also um, the HBA, which is the Human um, um, Housing Development Agency. So they're the ones, obviously, who build um, homes, um, the ones that you were referring to, um, as well as NHFC, just to name a few. So um, it, it, it's six entities um, that are you know, under the umbrella of the Department of Human Settlements. Yeah. So, 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 but what do you understand, in your, and at least in the mandate, uh, in the statutory mandate of the uh, organization now, uh, of the regulator at least, uh, what, okay. do, what do you understand human settlements to be and what, what is expected of you through your mandate to be doing there as a regulator? Um, well, obviously to provide for the facilitation of sustainable housing um, development process. Um, and one of our biggest drives um, as a human um, um, settlement, obviously, is the issuances of um, title deeds. Um, um, throughout the country. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen, but um, obviously the minister has been on a drive to ensure that all the housing um, do have title deeds, which will facilitate the selling process, obviously, in the future. Um, and then, obviously, for the regulator as a PPRA to also um, drive that process. Yeah. So, 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 for instance, I understand if, 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 if there's a housing project public or social housing or public housing or even private that should there be for instance um, substandard or shoddy workmanship right that mm-hmm. the service provider there can be reported to the NHBRC uh, right. uh, review process in fact all properties must be signed off when built uh, must be signed off by the NHBRC through an inspector that comes but um, sometimes it's not enough inspectors um, but you can report a service provider to the NHBRC um, and it can revoke the license um, of that uh, particular builder. service provider or that build or whatever the case may be. Or they could even litigate against them should there have been absolute negligence uh, in, 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 as part of the shoddy workmanship there. Um, in, when we talk about that environment, I understand at least the relationship of the NHBRC to social housing, human settlements and that aspect. Um, when you talk about the regulatory of property de- developers uh, in, in, in social housing and human settlements, what aspect of their work specifically are you regulating? Um, the quality, obviously, of their um, work as well, right, to ensure that, obviously, um, they deliver a product that is fit for purpose. That is in the um, social housing. But then if you're talking about developers, in your commercial or residential, that's where now the PPRA comes in. So they, are, they never used to be regulated um, by us or any other regulator for that matter. But now, obviously, we need to ensure that they are um, 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 you know, um, transacting with a, a tool of trade, which is the FSC, the Fidelity yeah. Fund Certificate. Yeah. So when you talk about the quality of the product, how different is that from the regulatory work expected by the NHBRC? Um, it's, it's, it's similar. So obviously from the foundation, uh, foundation phase all the way to the um, roofing of any um, um, yeah. property, they need to be um, you know, occupational. So obviously at the end of the, the completion of the project, there has to be occupational certificate. And obviously you'll know that, Oliver, that would mean that everything, you know, whatever certificates are in place, uh, be it your um, glazing certificates, your com- um, certificate of compliance, which yeah. now that's where the electricians come in. So the entire product. Yeah. So um, from, from, from start to finish. Yeah. So w- as a regulatory authority, what sanctions do you meet out to uncompliant practitioners? 
Sure, it depends. Hey, um, obviously, with the new disp- uh, under the new dispensation, Oliver, we have been given the right to issue compliance notices. So, as an example, um, right now in the in the regulatory space, um, there is what the minister has described as an undesirable practice under Section 63 of our legislation. Yeah. What that means is for um, um, you know property practitioners. We're not supposed to pay accreditation fees, right? In especially gated communities. Okay. Now, if you do that, you are now contravening the, the, the legislation. So we are in the process of issuing out our compliance notices to, you know, just um, discourage um, practitioners from conducting such behavior because they have been declared by the minister in our legislation as undesirable. So in that instance, we will issue compliance notices which is equivalent of a penalty of a fine. Um, you know, uh, uh, so it's, it's kind of like a punitive um, measure to ensure that um, practitioners don't um, proceed or conduct themselves with this undesirable practice, just as an example. So, so, but, so you're um, empowered, okay. in that instance, you're empowered to issue a fine to a practitioner? Correct, um, Oliver. And in instances where, let's say, for example, um, the, the common one, unfortunately, is of um, practitioners who don't have FFCs, right? And they continue to sell homes or rent out homes to potential buyers and um, tenants. And then the public or consumers come to us and say, you know, I, put, I did deposit, um, you know, a large sum of money into this practitioner who does not even seem to be um, you know, a, 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 a transactional um, practitioner. So in that case, obviously, we'll, should we find these uh, practitioners, we'll bring them through for a disciplinary hearing. Or in a case where there is a loss that is, um, a, a, a consumer has experienced, they can come to us and obviously claim from the Fidelity Fund. Mm. But under the new dispensation, they must have transacted with a practitioner that has a valid FSC. Under the Earthwell EAB, anybody can claim who has suffered a loss. But now we are limiting it only to... When you talk about suffering uh, a loss, what does that mean? So you've deposited the money, you're promised a home, and then after two weeks, the said practitioner or real estate agent um, is nowhere to be found, as an example. So that claim, you can come and um, um, you know, lodge a claim with a, with a uh, PPRA. So there's a fund that will what compensate, restitute... Uh, somebody who has materially lost something due to an unscrupulous practitioner? Correct. Um, we're not even materially, hey. Um, we've got um, people who come and claim for deposits, um, you know, in the region of 10,000, for example. So um, the quantum really varies depending on uh, the transaction that should have occurred and it didn't. Right. Um, so how, how is this fund um, capitalized? Well, um, we do um, issue FFCs, um, um, Oliver. So obviously, before February 1st, 2022, um, we were issuing FFCs um, every single year. Sorry, um, what exactly is an FFC? Fidelity Fund Certificate. So that's like your license to operate. Right. Yes. Okay. So um, th- th- that's what funds the Fidelity Fund. But under the PPRA now, or the PPA, the Property Practitioners Act, yeah. The FFCs now are renewable every three years. So that's the fund um, that, you know, um, um, funds, rather, the Fidelity Fund. Right. 
and, and, and where does how does that get capitalized? Or is it just license fees that you guys collect? License fees, um, um, Oliver. We've also got obviously exams that are practitioners over the country and um, throughout the country, right? Right. Um, you know, throughout the year, like four times. So that's all the money that um, goes into the facility fund. And also, we are a self-funded entity, if I may just add that, um, Oliver. So we, we don't get any um, funding um, of, uh, from the fiscal. Yeah. Um, are you not worried, Tato, that uh, the expansion of your mandate um, creates an overlap, so to speak, um, between yourself and the NHBRC and that, that overlap or duplication in regulatory authority and power uh, may cause confusion? One, uh, that it would lead to uh, the unoptim- unoptimal application of resources, two, because it's a duplicate of the same thing. Um, and three, that it may cause interstate disputes uh, if, for instance, you give a finding on a particular, uh, you know, you may say that the quality of the product is a horrible one and the NHBRC says, nah, it's not really. Uh, and now there's two different uh, regulatory authorities assessing the same thing uh, in one instance and giving two different findings that that may cause that kind of dispute. Um, are you not worried about those sort of things? Um, Oliver, I don't necessarily think that there's a du- duplication of efforts there, right? Because as a, the PPRA, we are on the transactional side. So not necessarily the built environment. And I think that's now the role that NHBRC plays. We are more concerned on the conduct of the property practitioner themselves. So the person who is the middle person between now um, um, right. you know, the, the, the seller or the, the purchaser, or in this case, the developer and the end user, not necessarily the, the, the brick and mortar, if I can put it that way, not the structure. All right. Give us a call if you have a question for Tato. The number to dial is 86 triple zero two zero three two zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on zero six one four one zero four one zero seven zero six one four. One zero four one zero seven. Let's speak about again. I want to circle back to uh, the, the regulatory affairs and and and, and, and uh, assessments that will be done insofar as social housing is concerned. Um, oftentimes, those are state contracts. Those are tenders. We we know that uh, large state housing contracts or tenders, when there's big housing projects, are often marred in the controversy of politics and patronage. Um, and often defined as corrupt insofar as uh, there's political exposure to it. Um, are you are you worried that it may make your job as a regulatory authority a little bit more difficult there, given that you're now no longer regulating only over private sector players or at least private property practitioners, that you'll now be regulating over state-appointed practitioners? Well, Oliver, when you're speaking of now social housing, um, the regulator there is um, SHRA, right? The Social Social Housing Regulatory Authority. Yeah. So I don't obviously want to speak out of context um, because as much as I understand their mandate, I obviously is not in my day-to-day, but that's the regulator now for social housing. Um, 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 yeah, yeah, in, in that so- built environment. So, 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 it, in, in then in the human settlements environment, how does how does where do you draw a distinction as as a regulator versus uh, their regulatory authority, Shra? That is. So Shra again is social housing, yeah, and we are more on the residential 
and commercial side of things. Right. Whereas, obviously, um, social housing homes are, are, are rented out in most cases. Yeah. They are not sale, um, um, for sale um, as a, in the residential space or, right. the, or the private space for that matter. Yeah. And then perhaps to this, um, and I guess this is perhaps where it becomes educational, what are some of the more common um, you know, transgression that you see by regulators through which you find them or sanction them or whatever the appropriate measure may be that you think consumers need to know about? Um, sure. Um, I, can I say the commission disputes? Yes, know? let's start there. What um, are those? Yeah. So, for example, um, if you are a seller um, in, in the residential space um, and you do not, let's say, um, you know, complete a, a, a mandate, then you've got um, Tato's property selling for you and then you also got Oliver's property selling for you. And um, at the end of the day, they both bring you um, a buyer. You sign both the offer to purchases. You as a seller will be liable for double commission. Okay. So that's one of the. I don't even think it's a transaction. What is what is the what is the principle there that or what is the transgression of double commission? So you failure to sign a mandate. So basically, a mandate saying I'm giving um, this property practitioner to sell my home. If you don't do that. And both of them bring you an offer to purchase, and then they both you, you you sign both, then you will then be liable to pay both of them, but only for the sale of one house. So I think it's more of a a a, a, a seller educational. Um, right. Okay. Uh, that's yeah. That, that's interesting and useful. So if I want to sell my house, I can only mm-hmm. give a single mandate to a single agent. No, not necessarily. You can also do an open mandate. Right, but to protect yourself as a seller, um, every person that comes through your house, you must make sure that you keep a record, because at the end of the day, if Tato Properties brings you a seller who is Joey, and then the same Joey puts a lower offer as an example through you, Oliver, remember, the seller won't know who brought that uh, uh, prospect purchaser, Joey, to their home. So that means at the end of the day. He will or she will be liable to pay yourself and me the commission. Right. So the the way to do that is to ensure that you as a seller keep a list of everybody who's coming through your house to sell the house, and obviously the practitioners should also ask the prospect purchasers that they bring to their home of whether this is the first time they 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 think that you know the 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 house that is for sale. I've I've been to a couple of house viewings recently, um, and oftentimes the owner of the property is not there. It's just the agent that perhaps has a key. Um, So the owner really, the seller in this instance, really may not even know who who came and viewed the house. This is true, but that's why every viewing, they should ask who is the buyer that came to my house. And um, we as practitioners, you know, we're supposed to tell, um, you know, inform our sellers of everybody who has come through their house. Obviously, if it's a gated community, um, Oliver, it's a different story. Security will have that information on hand. Right, right. Um, and, and so that's one common transgression, but that seems to be a transgression of the seller. In particular, mm-hmm. what are the common transgressions of the practitioners? Okay. One of the other transactions, um, Oliver, is that as a practitioner, especially if it's a firm, right, they are supposed to um, file their um, um, audits 
with us, with the, with the regulator every single year, and failure to do so will um, obviously attract a fine or a penalty again or a compliance notice. So most practitioners just sell, 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 but at the end of the day, they don't want to tell the regulator how much they made, um, which then results also with SARS knowing how much they've made. So that is a transaction um, also of the, um, the, 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 the laws that they're supposed to abide by as practitioners. Yeah, yeah. But if, if I can clarify, this is obviously for principal property practitioners. So those who are real estate firms um, um, uh, or, or principal property practitioners who hold a trust account, Oliver. Yeah. Um, so draw a distinction between that uh, principal property practitioner versus what the alternative would be. I don't actually know what that would be. <laughs> so um, a, a non-principal practitioner. So you are working for, um, you know, one of the larger firms or even any other firm. You right. are not necessarily the director of that firm. Then you are uh, then a non-principal um, property practitioner or real estate agent. Oh, similar like in a law firm, there's a partner and associate. And... Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. Now, now I understand. Yes. Now I, <laughs> now I understand. Okay. So, yes. so uh, just again, educationally, once, once a, a, a consumer thinks that they may be aggrieved, by a, a practitioner, what does the path of recourse look like? So you'll obviously have to come to us. Before you even do, before you even get to us, um, Oliver, you need to first go to our website and ensure that the practitioner that you were transacting with is registered with us, right? Okay. Especially if you've transacted after the 1st of February 2022. And then once you, can, you find out that this practitioner is indeed registered with us, you can then come and lodge a complaint, and then you will um, provide us with supporting documentation. So let's say, for example, it was a practitioner who was selling your home. You will then you know, um, give us a copy of the mandate that you had signed with the said practitioner, the offer to purchase that you guys have signed, um, um, and all necessary documentation so that we are able to obviously look at it and... Um, um, apply our minds, and then if we do find that you had followed proper processes as a seller, you had done due diligence, yeah. um, then you'll come to us, obviously, for a claim. But you also need to prove that, um, Oliver, that you had done everything to try to recoup the funds, i.e., if you've got um, an attorney or y- yourself, you, you would have written to the said practitioner for a letter of demand, you tried to get a hold of them, and when all else fails, you come to us, we'll apply my mind, um, we, we've got a legal and compliance department that deals with such matters. They'll investigate and then obviously put the claim through. Right. And, and, and usually what does, is there a specific timeline where an aggrieved party can expect, how, how long can an aggrieved party expect a particular process to take? So um, as soon as you find out that you've suffered a loss, um, Oliver, you need to let us know um, within um, three months. Otherwise, it, it prescribes. Just like if you are, you know, somebody steals your TV as an example, you have to let SAPS know within a certain period of time. Yeah. Otherwise, that claim prescribes. We also um, operate on the same. So you can't sit so what is loss. So in, in your instance, what is the statute of limitation? Three months, um, Oliver. As soon as you find out. You right. find out. But then... 
obviously with the investigation, we will um, we'll go through our, um, our processes. Even if we, we pay, let's say, as an example, in six months, it won't prescribe because you would have done the, done the necessary within that um, um, legislative time. Yeah. And, and, and perhaps just lastly here, is, is, is this a costly process? No, um, Oliver, you don't pay anything to us to, to start the process, whether you are um, a, a, a tenant, a landlord, or even a seller who's, been, who, who's suffered a loss. It's, it's, it's at no cost to you. Right. Yeah, I'm going to have to leave you there. Tata, thank you so much for this. This was incredibly edu- uh, educative, insightful, um, and, and, so and I think it really would have helped a lot of uh, listeners and consumers out there. Um, and, and yeah, I, I hope that the expansion of the mandate of the authority uh, enables it to, 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 to do more in the best interest of consumers. Thank you so much, Oliver, for, for having me. Really appreciate it. That is Tato Ramaile, who is the Acting Executive Officer for Property for the Property Practitioners Regulatory Authority. I'm taking your reactions to that. Give me a call, 086-000-2032, 086-000-2032.